Hey everyone, welcome back to Chat Between 805. I'm Amy and I'm here with Cassidy and a very special guest, Gabriel Mitchell, um, who is our friend, um, a philosophy enthusiast and a freelance worker who we've met um, quite recently. And we're so excited to have him on the podcast today in a very special philosophy-themed episode. Yes, I'm welcome. So, so excited to be here, guys. Really looking forward to chatting. <laughs> Yeah, I was really excited because we've never had a guest um, yet on this podcast, and I really want to get more in the future. So this is a great introduction to that. Um, And I guess to just explain what inspired this whole idea, I'm not much, I feel like I'm very new to the whole philosophy world. Um, I recently got introduced to it um, through uh, Praxis. this program that I'm a part of that I've kind of briefly talked about on the podcast here, but it's a pretty cool network of people. And there's like a whole philosophy group on there that um, has a lot of different topics they talk about. But one that kind of caught my interest was a bunch of hypothetical questions, which I realized I enjoy a lot. And I feel like I love the rabbit hole that it brings people down. What do you think, Gabriel? Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. Obviously, I'm also a part of this Praxis community. That's kind of how we got connected. Uh, And I've been having a lot of fun being guests on a lot of these kind of amateur startup podcasts like this. And I've been uh, been the first guest for a few people. And so it's been fun just to like come here and help lay a foundation of the philosophical thinking that's part of the podcasting. Because everyone has, because all these people have podcasts, they have all these different topics they want to talk about. But every topic is related to philosophy in some sense. And so it's been fun kind of hopping on and just helping lay a foundation so you can talk deeper about these ideas and just think better. Uh, So I I am so excited to be here and just love the Praxis community as well. And and happy to help you guys figure out what it's like to have a guest on the show. Yeah, absolutely. And for those of you who don't know, just a little background, Praxis is kind of this alternative route to college. Um, If you guys want to speak to like what your experiences are, that'd be great. Um... Yeah, we're kind of at different phases. I'm very new to it still. I'm like in right in the middle of it, basically, um, and still kind of discovering the whole process. But um, Gabriel's an alumni, so he kind of went through the whole thing already um, and got a feel for what it's like. Yeah, yeah. Specifically, I was really early on in the program. I actually started in 2014. I don't know if you know that, um, but... Uh, so, so for reference, right now we're in uh, you know 2022, and I am 26 years old. So it was uh, ages ago, perhaps kind of <laughs> similar where you're at right now. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it just, it, it's it's been a journey. I think it's a great community, and, and it has some of the most interesting, intelligent people. And actually, something that's fascinating is at the beginning of this year, I did a demographic survey in the Praxis community. I don't know if you you saw that. I did see that. Perfect. Yeah. And one of the things I did in that survey, among asking a bunch of other questions, but I asked about some uh, philosophy thought experiments, specifically the trolley problem, which I believe might be the first thing we discussed today. Yes. And so I have some data about how the Praxis community feels about these problems that we can contrast to some of our own opinions and views. Cool. So... To kind of give our listeners um, a glimpse of what we're going to talk about, um, this is kind of what inspired the whole idea behind this episode. And I feel like there's so many different types of questions that you can kind of uh, come from just this one. So anyway, the question is, um, kind of picture this image in your head. It's kind of hard to do in like 
podcast terms, but just like picture a trolley and it's going down um, kind of this railroad situation and it's about to kill five people. But you are a bystander and you can pull this lever that will change the path to only kill one person. So basically the question is, would you pull the lever or would you just let nature take its course and let it kill five people which I feel like is a very controversial question because everyone comes up with different answers to the question and I still sometimes go back and forth on it <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's definitely a tough one uh do you guys have any initial kind of feelings towards this question initial I want to hear answers? I want to hear Amy's I haven't <laughs> heard hers yet <laughs> yeah so when I saw this problem I my I guess my heart just kind of tells me to go with not pulling the lever. I'm kind of letting the nature take its course. Even with the opportunity to save five people, I feel like pulling the lever to like avoid that and just kill one would make me feel very guilty um, for killing that one person. And I feel like it's almost like that argument of like one person's life isn't like just because it's one person doesn't mean it's like more or less five people. So yeah, I, I guess that's kind of my take on it is like, I wouldn't mess with the lover situation. <laughs> I I like your take on it. Um, I've definitely gone back and forth on it. Um, and I've talked about it with friends too, to just kind of gauge like what their answer would be. And um, I, sometimes lean more towards pulling the lever actually and uh just because i don't know like to me it would save more people in my head and that just makes me feel a little better but at the same time i know i'd still feel guilty either way like it doesn't matter if i pull it or not yeah something that i do think about is like that one person that you'd kill instead of the five <laughs> hypothetically um I, I think about, like, you know, if that person were to die, how many people that do they know in their circle that would be affected versus the five people? And you really don't know, like, how much would be affected. Like, you can assume that those five people, like, would have, like, a bunch of family members and people that would be kind of devastated. But um, that one person might also have, like, an even bigger social circle or network and you're affecting more people by killing the one person like what if that one person was like the president or something like that you know so it's it's a little bit of a hard uh decision to make for me so that's kind of why I kind of resort to not doing anything and I thought we'd say the same but we actually (laughs) said different (laughs) but yeah I guess those are our answers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so part of the value of these types of thought experiments of just doing stuff like this is that it not only just gets us to think, and thinking is generally a pretty good thing, just exercising our brain, but it also gets us to explore, like, what is the base principle that we're using to justify our answer, right? So we want to kind of think at a higher level, not just what is the answer, but why do we have that answer? And so someone who maybe would prefer the five people dying instead of pulling the switch to kill the one person usually is doing it because they see pulling the switch as a much more active participation, 
as like maybe you're murdering the one person where if the other five people die, you're not actually responsible. And the other hand, a lot of people, I, I think most people's initial impulse actually is to uh, save the five people in favor of the one person. Um, what we find usually is that the thought process there is that there's something good about like prioritizing the good of the many over the one or something. And these are these are very different principles which often don't conflict. You know, most of the time, respecting people's rights and not murdering them is in line with things like you know prioritizing yeah. the group. Uh, but there's these moments that have this tension, and so it's so important to have these uh, thought experiences and, and philosophical discussions mm -hmm. just to figure out these base principles. And then you can take those principles and apply them to other thought experiments, which we'll, I'm sure we'll do here soon, uh, yeah. and just kind of see how the principle survives when you start to add extra context and information to the, the thought experiment. Yeah, you kind of answered one of our questions of like, why are these questions important and productive? Because some people don't, I've asked some people like, if they like these types of questions and some answers are like, no, they're unproductive and it just sends people down like a hole that there's no actual answer. Um, but others like it like myself. Yeah. I really like the whole discussion and um, I don't think there's like a right or a wrong answer because someone can come up with like a, a good point for either side. I feel like, but um, I really do like hearing the different um, opinions and like why people would do what they do. I do have a question for you, Gabriel. Um, sure. What like got you into philosophy? Like what was what made you become the enthusiast that you are? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure with most people's journeys into a certain passion or interest, right? There's maybe not super clear like point by point stories. But my, I grew up in an environment where my parents read a lot, and they were definitely uh, enthusiasts for just reading in general, especially learning things like philosophy. And so I'm sure that was a big contributing factor, just you know, having good conversations at the dinner table. Uh, somewhere around the age of whatever freshman year of high school is, so 14, 15, um, or maybe it was the summer right before that, I was having kind of my first big existential crisis, which I think is something most people experience around that age. Just who the hell am I and what do I, what do I value? You know, why am I so anxious about the world and stuff? Uh, and my mom just handed me a fistful of philosophy books. At the time, they were Christian philosophy books. I'm no longer a Christian, but it definitely was a, an area of philosophy and belief that had a huge influence on me and just how I think about the world. And so as I was reading things like C.S. Lewis, for example, uh, I'd probably say C.S. Lewis was the first real philosopher that I dove, dove into and I would highly recommend anyone of any belief system read his work. Um, and so, yeah, something around that. And I, I think like part of it was just I had all these anxieties and questions. And it's not that reading philosophy gave me the correct answer in the moment, but it more made me realize that there's something virtuous to exploring these anxieties and exploring these questions. And there's something just beneficial to me. And it and it's really has paid dividends. Like any, I, I've been able to build a little bit of a personal brand where I'm kind of a philosophy nerd. I mean, that's why I'm here right now talking to you guys yeah. and working on other shows. And I, uh, I've had really great opportunities. For example, I used to work for an organization called the Institute for Main Studies, which was a, a 
classically liberal, you might call it libertarian if you're not super familiar with some language here, organization that worked with academics within the universities to help them host things like book clubs and lectures and stuff like that. And I was one of the few people on the staff who didn't have a college degree because I was just so passionate about ideas and so in love with reading and exploring these things that it was easy for me to signal and it was easy for me to hop on board and just be part of the team because I just was in love with it. And so I, I, you know, it helped me discover who I am and it's given me and just paid dividends in my career and personal life. And I, it's really been a special thing. That's great. And you've definitely done a good job with it because like, I've just known you through the community as like the philosophy guy. Mm -hmm. Like I just knew, like I just had a feeling that you would have um, some great resources, especially, especially for this episode. Um, But yeah, I guess my like, relationship with philosophy I've always just loved having like conversations like this and I can even remember like even when we were young Amy having like really deep conversations at the age of like I don't know like seven like I don't know what we were talking (laughs) about at the time but um (laughs) she Amy's always been like the friend that I can have those conversations with um so at a young age I've always had like um like philosophical thoughts I guess but I didn't really like dig deep into philosophy until like recently like especially through the praxis community just like talking with people and being like I, I've been on like a philosophy call before and it's just really fun yeah. to have those conversations um so I guess that's like kind of my amateur introduction <laughs> of like philosophy but Amy like what is your interest in it Honestly, like kind of what you were saying, like growing up, like I definitely am the type of person in general to like engage in these sorts of conversations because I I personally love like not even just with Cassidy, but I with my one of my other friends um, as a kid, I like <laughs> I made up this thing and it was called Midnight Thoughts with Amy. And basically we would talk like past midnight about like it, it could be like about anything that was going on, that things that we didn't understand about life. Um, almost like shower thoughts like thoughts you get like in the shower where you're just like wait a second this is a mind-blowing like fact and it's probably like the most like irrelevant thing ever but we would engage in those sorts of conversations and that's without even realizing it I guess as a young kid that's kind of how I would interact with philosophy is kind of thinking about all of these hypothetical situations but I think what I when I realized realized um that philosophy actually had a huge impact in my personal life was um a few years ago I had a pretty bad concussion incident and the injury um made me see things from a completely different perspective um for example like I couldn't read the same way I used to which is such a weird Mm -hmm. thing to say but um because of my concussion like I couldn't focus on words and I had to take it piece by piece. And I actually, what really helped me was listening to podcasts and audio recordings to help retrain myself to read. So things like that, I guess um, I had kind of used philosophy in that way to kind of figure out how can I approach this one situation in a different way? And I, I don't know, it just like opened up my mind to a bunch of possibilities and stuff like that so <laughs> wonderful wonderful i i would imagine um i sometimes describe doing doing philosophy as like working out the mind you know like we go to the gym to lift weights to work out our body and we should do reading and things like thought experiments to exercise our mind 
And I would bet, and I'm no neuroscience, but I would bet just by going through that process, you're helping heal by just helping your brain make new connections and just work and work itself out. And so that's really wonderful. So kind of introducing um, our next like activity, I guess, is our um, basically we're going to do more thought experiments besides that whole trolley explanation. And me and Amy don't really know what Gabriel has in store for us, but I'm really excited. Excellent. To hear. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you might be familiar with where I'm going to start with, but uh, the trolley problem has some variations. And the point of these variations is to see if the reasonings that you were using before still apply. The most popular one is sometimes called the fat man variation. And it's this idea that, you know, so we still have this runaway trolley and there's still the split and the trolley is going to hit you know, the five people or four people, whatever. Uh, um, but in this time, instead of the one person being on the track and you're pulling a switch, instead the one person is a fat person and this fat person is standing on a bridge on top of the railway. And you know, for whatever reason, you know that if you push the fat person that they'll hit the trolley and slow it down enough that it won't kill those five people. So in essence, it's a very, very similar thought experiment, right? It's still, are you trading off one life for five? or whatever? yeah. But now there's a little bit more of a direct involvement. And so does that change either of your views on this? Do you think your reasoning still applies and your intuitions are still the same? Yeah, I don't think I'd I don't think I'd be able to do it. I don't think I'd be able to push him because okay. I, I don't know. But at the same time, I'm still thinking about like those five people. I don't really know my answer but I guess you Amy you have the same answer for it but I think I'd change mine to not pushing him not killing the one person I guess does does that provide any tension to how you felt about your first answer because because it seems it sounds like that your objection now is that now you kind of know that you're murdering the person right yeah I think I it almost makes me want to change the other answer but like I it is kind of like you're you're murdering i mean i am murdering that guy but like the lever is like the same concept so it just basically gives me another perspective on it to almost change my original yeah. answer uh, <laughs> but that 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 is often uh when i talk to people about this in fact when i pulled the praxis community that's basically exactly what happened was that at first most people were fine with pulling the lever and killing the one person to save the five but then when I followed up with adding the fat man variation, it flipped. Most people in that case uh, did not want to push the fat man. And so there's something interesting about that. Like, why do we, and I'm not to say that there's a very clear answer here, yeah. but why is that? Why, why do we understand that pushing the fat man is involvement, but we don't think of pulling the lever as being directly involved? You know, why do our intuitions change there? Mm-hmm. I think kind of interacting with touch and indirect objects like I think the lever itself kind of takes away like it, it feels inhumane like I mean like you you're not really interacting with that guy that you would choose to kill lever um but with like actually physically shoving someone it doesn't like, feel it's more personal hmm. yeah like. Even though both, like, kind of, well, yeah. will lead to murder. So I think, like, 
Yeah, it's definitely, I, I think it also might be visual because you don't see that one person die, I'm assuming, in the first variation. Um, but in the second, you would directly probably see that person hit the train. I don't really know if that affects uh, it. But... I feel like you'd still see it happen. It's just that, like, the level of involvement, I think, is, like, the biggest thing. And, well, like, what were you going to say? Yeah, I mean, if if we change the variables that you don't see it happen, if you don't see the guy die, would that change your answer? Would that be a variable that would change uh, how you think about the problem? I feel like this is making me look like such a wishy-washy person, <laughs> but I, I might not. I think I would, like, sure. change my answer because then I wouldn't see it, and I'd save more people. I think I just have that mindset of saving more people. Yeah then like i don't know but then if you change the variable of like is it people you know mm, is it yeah. like then it gets like even more tricky so yeah. Like, yeah like that's that's another thing is like that one person could be your mom mm-hmm. you know, yeah <laughs> like crazy like that you like you you wouldn't want to do it and that's where i'm like i honestly would rather let fate take the reins or whatever you want to label it as I, I don't know, like, you just not have that responsibility to, like, decide what matters more. Sure. Um, but, yeah, no, it's definitely an interesting thing to think about that, like, shoving someone is different than pushing a lever. And I'm trying to think of, like, situations in our our society that kind of reflect that. And I'm, like, struggling. But I feel like one thing that I am thinking of is, like, I don't know, like the government. <laughs> I don't know. It's like what I don't. It was like the first thing that came to mind is like like their decisions. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, uh, like maybe like, um, like making like a military like call, right? And they're not actually doing it. It's so in a way, it's like them pulling the lever, like ordering something to happen where other yeah. people execute it. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Where like. it might not be them directly. Like, if they were in that situation, would they? Like, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, people yeah. in power. Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, thought experiments, by virtue of being thought experiments, are limited, right? We don't have all the context. And when you're in the real-world situation, there's so many things to consider. Uh, we might even argue that, like, regardless of a decision to make, the person who's actually responsible is whatever engineer fucked up the trolley in the first place, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but there are some very real-world examples right now that we're thinking through to help that that these types of questions matter. Uh, for example, if you were designing a self-driving car and the self-driving car, uh, something's going wrong and it has the potential of hitting a crowd of people or veering off to the side and killing its driver, so it's kind of a trolley problem, yeah. what should the self-driving car do? And I don't know what the answer is and I'm very happy I don't work for Tesla or whatever, but, that, but that's yeah. a, real, a real world engineering problem that we have to figure out kind of now in society that requires us to think about things like the trolley problem. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I think, I'm, I obviously, I don't know. I don't work for Tesla. But like, <laughs> if I think in that situation, they would have to have the driver sign some sort of form, you know, like one of those forms saying like, Tesla is not responsible <laughs> for my death. <laughs> this is why I don't want a self-driving car. Just mm. that's my answer. I don't want a self-driving <laughs> car. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know the answer. That is, uh, that's a tricky one. Yeah. 
And I, and I think you're right to have the impulse that this relates to politics, as most ethical questions do, because frequently when we're discussing political questions, there is this tension between the individual's rights and the needs, or perhaps even just the wants, of like a group of people. You know, who do we tax to pay for healthcare, for example, or should we tax to pay for healthcare in the first place? Uh, those are ethical <laughs> questions that are similar in nature to this kind of uh, murder versus saving the group or something, you know? similar kind of questions that's true yeah it really gets me thinking it's crazy but yeah i just the factors involved it's crazy how much it it affects people's answers and the fact that the survey you pulled the majority changed their answers it's definitely really interesting to see um but yeah there's a lot of different thought examples you can go through but um, I really liked your outlook on the politics, though, Amy, mm -hmm. that you brought that up. Now it's gotten me, like, all Thinking messed up in my way. head. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think that's, like, what I try to do in these situations, like, when I'm given a thought experiment. It's like, hmm, like, can I apply this to my life? And will that help me figure it out? Or will it make it more of a mind boggle? Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, Gabriel, do you have any other thought experiments for us? Yeah, well, here's one that has political implications, and I but I won't tell you what the political implication is until you've thought through it a little bit. Okay. Uh, uh, this is sometimes this is a thought experiment, sometimes called the violinist, or it may be the soccer player or something. But the basic idea is that there's someone famous. Let's call him a violinist. Uh, and this violinist is has like a fatal kidney problem, and the only way he's going to survive is if we. Uh, kidnap you and we hook you up to him because you've got the special blood type that he needs to keep him alive um so a group of, of fans of this violinist they get you they knock you unconscious and you wake up and find yourself next to this unconscious violinist who is now dependent on you if you unplug he dies uh just by virtue of like you know the blood type or whatever's going on and so you're you've been kidnapped in this situation you're sort of forced to to keep this person alive would it be just now this person's depending on you? It's not your fault that he's there, that you're there, but now this person's dependent on you. Would it be okay to unplug and, in essence, kind of kill the guy? Uh, like, sort of, what's your sort of initial reaction to that? So, my initial reaction is that since it was kind of a forced situation, like we, I was kidnapped. So, like, I feel like, okay, like, I, I feel like it would be fine to get unplugged because I didn't even have a say in it in the first place. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. I'm just wondering, like, would I know that unplugging him would kill him? The violinist? Uh, yeah. Let's assume you do. Let's assume that it's quite clear to you that uh, this person is dependent on you. Uh, let's say perhaps they're only dependent on you for nine months or something uh, until they're feeling better. And so, so it's a limited amount of time. It's not forever. But the all these people are telling you, hey, don't unplug or this person will die. Yeah, well, I see Cassidy's argument with like consent, like mm -hmm. there isn't any sort of consent there. So it's almost like, why would I do? Why would I say like commit the time and my literally my little <laughs> to yeah. like helping someone I don't know? I feel like in that situation, I would probably stay. You would stay. So even though you've just you you've just explained to us that you maybe have some sort of right to leave, you would still stay. 
Yeah. I think it's more of, like, not wanting to, like... Maybe it is the people pleaser in me. <laughs> you are very much a people pleaser. Yeah, <laughs> I can confirm I that. I think that's probably it. It's like I would, I would more bad about leaving that person to die than about them kidnapping me. <laughs> See, like, like I, if it was, if I was told what was going to happen, and if I had the opportunity to give consent, I may have a different answer. Yeah. But the fact that I was kidnapped doesn't sit well with me (laughs) so so if you um did give consent and you were involved uh and then you're kind of say a few days in you're like oh my god i've made a terrible decision this is gonna ruin my life at least for the few months that i'm here would it be okay for you to then uh disconnect i i feel like if i gave consent and agreed to the situation and then i wanted to back out of it i don't think that would be right because i gave like i agreed to it already Mm. like that's where i like i disagree in your situation cast because i think that like if you think about like experimentation like you have the right to back out like like any experiment like i think you could still back out even because consent is like consent isn't just like a one-time thing yeah i can see that i think personally me i'd feel bad that yeah. I agreed to it, and now I'm like backing out of yeah. it. Well, so now I, I, you're like <laughs> yeah. where I am. With I'm the very big. On, I'm very big on commitment. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Well, I mean, uh, consent we've agreed is a pretty important principle, but I think you're tapping into something here about how it's not just in the moment. Sometimes it has to be ongoing. Uh, uh, sex and consent should be a very touchy subject, so we don't have to super dive into it. But like, I think we would agree that even though if you consent to the beginning of a sexual encounter, that there you can still back out at some point. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Cool. I'm just yeah. saying. I'm just saying for me personally, yeah. if I agree to something, I'm saying yeah. if someone did give consent and wanted to back out of it, they can do that. But I'm just coming from my perspective, not saying sex sure, now, yeah, yeah, like yeah. that's different. But just like in this situation, if I agreed to it. Even if I, a part of me was like, ugh, like I just kind of messed up the next few months for me, but mm-hmm. I already said yes for this person, so I'd personally feel bad for backing out of it. Okay. Yeah, I also like, I feel like I tend to think about like, the, in terms of like the kidnapping situation, um, like the repercussions of me backing out, and like, if that person has a huge following, like, they might, like, that may, might even put a huger target on my back. Mm back out yeah you know and then i'm like then they blame me for his death even though it's technically not my fault because i was kidnapped oh yeah absolutely but yeah i definitely i don't know like i feel like staying isn't necessarily like i want to be the person that's just like you know what (laughs) (laughs) let me leave like that person with confidence but i feel like i just like i would I would start to like, I don't know. I, I feel like I would just like create um, a connection with the person that I'm, <laughs> I'm like, oh gosh, like they're relying on me. And if I didn't know them. Sure. See, I become, I become the people pleaser when I give consent to something. I feel like, <laughs> like I, I want to stay even though I don't want to because I already agreed to it. Yeah. But yeah. So, uh, 
This is a thought experiment that was uh, coined by Judith Thomas, who is a philosopher and uh, who may still be alive. Um, and specifically, she titled this a defense of abortion because the thought process for her was that if you have a right to disconnect from, say, a violinist, even if you've consented to uh, you know, be the kidney transplant to be the blood donor, that perhaps you also have a right to then engage in uh, abortion um, and or at least to remove the fetus from your body. And then what happens happens, uh, which is a very sensitive topic. So I definitely yeah. definitely let's not take this lightly at all. Uh, I know it's very challenging, but I wonder if with that new knowledge that that was the intention of this thought experiment, if that uh, challenges you in any way in any of your intuitions. So um, just to clarify, so I, I'm a little bit slow. Sure, <laughs> <in> sure. <understanding. laughs> so like with the abortion, Judith said that basically if you decided to leave, that would be kind of equivalent to like making the decision to abort. Yes, yes, yes. That that for the same reason that you most likely have a right to disconnect from the violinist, Judith would say the same logic can be used to say that you have some sort of right, in most cases, to engage in an abortion. Hmm. This. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough one. It's a very challenging <laughs> yeah. problem. Yeah. Um. I definitely have like a strong opinion sure, with yeah. this topic, but I don't know if. Do you want to get into it, Amy, or no? <laughs> no, you can go ahead. So, personally, my own opinion, this might be very controversial to some people, but I think, like, you have a right to abortion. Now I'm trying to figure out how that plays into my decision of, like, uh, yeah. I don't know. Because, like, it's really hard. Sure. But I think, like... I guess it would change my answer. If that's my opinion on abortion, then it would change my answer to uh, leave, like yeah. disconnect. And, and so, sometimes when we're answering thought experiments, there's sometimes a disconnect between like, what do we think is the right thing to do? Or what do we think we have a right to do versus yeah. what would be our emotional impulse and would do? And so it's okay to have that tension. That's like totally normal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with Cassidy in terms of like where my... Um, values align like sure. I definitely believe that women have um I just think that the scenario like the way that it's set up isn't really like equivalent to like or not equivalent but like not all the way like in line with what maybe like a woman would go through when yeah. she chooses to abort yeah I agree with so that. like like for example what I'm thinking of is like some reasons that a Abort is because, um, like of you know a, an incidence of sexual assault, mm -hmm. and I'm trying to like put it into this situation, and I I, I don't think like kidnapping and sexual assault, like you know what I mean, yeah, like it, that yeah. it, it's not really the same motivation to quit, like to quit, like I feel like, yeah, I don't know, I just feel like it's hard to like wrap my head around them being the same situation. But yeah, that's kind of where I come. I'm I'm coming from. Yeah, I mean, like we established, this is not an easy topic. Uh, especially the political imp implications are not easy. But just thought experiments in general can be challenging. But you can tell. I bet you can feel in these moments that you're thinking, which is really what yeah. this is all about. Is how do I justify what I believe and why do I believe it? 
you know, uh, and I'm happy to move on from this one because I have some that are a little less gruesome and a little less uncomfortable. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so in philosophy, right, we don't just care about ethics. We don't just care about how to act and what's the right or wrong way to act. We also care about things like epistemology, which is the theory and study of how do we know things, um, which is pretty important to all areas of philosophy. So there's a very popular epistemological thought experiment uh, called Mary Color Scientist. Um, and so imagine, uh, sometimes it's called the knowledge problem, but imagine we have Mary and Mary has spent her whole life studying color. She understands everything there is to know about color. She understands how wavelengths work. She understands the math of it. She understands it in the most like empirical scientific way. However, Mary was born in a house where everything was black and white. And she has lived her whole life only ever seeing black and white, or I suppose also shades of gray. If someday, after spending years and years deeply understanding color, someone finally let her out of that house and she saw color for the first time, you might say experienced color for the first time, would you say she learned something new? Even though she previously had all of the objective scientific knowledge of what color was, and completely understood the mathematics of it, completely understood how light reflected, even maybe understood color theory, even though she couldn't really see it at the time. Does she learn something new by having the experience of color? Yes, that's my answer. She did learn something new. I think it's different when you like, like learn something from a textbook versus like experiencing something in real life, like a real life scenario. I feel like even like, taking it from the point of view that like when you experience something you learn like new things along the way so I definitely think she learned something new even though like technically she learned like the scientifics behind mm -hmm. color yeah I with that I I think she would learn something new um just because it's just because it's like not like the topic is similar, like the color, like it's it's not like foreign to her yeah. colors. But I think that experiencing it would give her new insight and thus she would be learning from that experience, mm -hmm. even if it's not really like technical law, like knowledge about wavelength and all of that, like the stuff yeah. that she probably has in her back pocket, but experiencing the colors I do, I do think gives people new perspective. Well, I understand this this intuition, right? Because uh, it feels like there's something going on that she's learning something. But like, what is she learning is the problem. Like, I, I, I struggle to identify, like, what is the thing that she has learned that is new? Uh, perhaps simply just the sensation of what it's like to experience colors. But is there anything yeah. beyond that that maybe she's learned? I just think it's like a new it's still a new experience so there's still it's something new to her still so i feel like it is just like the sensation maybe not necessarily yeah. like scientific yeah i feel like too with like a new sensation you could even say you can make the argument that she's making <laughs> like neural connections <laughs> mm -hmm. you know like with color because i guess like your it does activate different areas of your brain like when you perceive color um that that's an interesting thing to think about but it's not really her actively 
think it's her body and kind of her reaction mm. to what she's seeing. If that That's a sense. good take. I like that. Yeah. It, it's like, it's less about autonomy, like her choice and what she's learning, but like what she's experiencing, kind of like what you said, Cass, like it's, it's how you're reacting to the world around, like how you're reacting to your environment, not like how you're choosing to learn about your environment if that makes sense yeah <laughs> it does this one was a lot easier for me to yeah. answer <laughs> yeah and, and it has it has some interesting implications because sometimes we do philosophy we're tempted to just think of it through reason and not necessarily through experience uh and sometimes philosophers have a tendency to reject experience as a meaningful way to discover truth uh perhaps because we can't always trust our senses right but, you know, how do we know that we can't trust our senses unless we trust them just enough yeah. to tell us that we can't trust our senses, right? Uh, mm. Yeah. That's well, very true. Well, well I feel like, too, sorry, not to cut you off. I was going to say, like, there is a lot of studies out there about, like, our associations to color. Yeah. And, like, I feel like it may not be, like, directly, like, it might not be related to this specific thought experiment, but... Um, so things like how like fast food industries like to use the color red yeah. to like induce feelings of hunger. And I think that's really interesting because you see like a lot of brands using red in their logos and companies and like things like that where like colors can be used to impart knowledge, even if it's not um, maybe like directly. Observable. Yeah, blatantly like known. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know, maybe she learns about how colors make her feel. <laughs> uh, so th there is a thought experiment on the topic of experiences there's a thought experiment literally called the experience machine and this one was coined by philosopher robert nozick uh someone who i think is very compelling and worth reading and he envisions uh suppose there was a machine that when you enter the machine you enter into a kind of hedonistic matrix sort of situation so you're in the machine you enter in this virtual reality where you get where like a, a group of top scientists are running calculations and and they are trying to maximize your enjoyment of life and so that includes also sometimes failing right because just having constant pleasure isn't actually enjoying life um and a key note here though is once you've entered in this machine once you've entered the matrix or whatever you forget that you're in the machine and so you you've forgotten about true reality you're now in this false reality, but the false reality is constantly running calculations to give you the best possible experience. You know, you win the football game one day and then you go through a heartbreak the next day, but then that leads you to falling into the best love or whatever. It's running all these calculations. Um, th there's a couple questions we had here, but the first sort of initial question is simply, would you enter into it? Or do you even think it would be a good idea to enter into it? I would no. say no. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to, I, I, I wouldn't, I don't think I would, no matter how bad my reality might be, or, you know, if I was in a desperate need to change my situation, um, I don't think I would enter into the, the, the new realm just because to have a better outcome. Because you know, it's reality, at least. Like, yeah. I feel like it would bother me so much. Well, you won't. You don't know once yeah, you get into the, the machine, but like before going into it, I would just—I don't know—that would be the struggle. Is like knowing that, like, I won't know that it's real. I don't think I'd want to do it. 
also like the responsibility you might have to like yourself like to stay kind of in your own reality instead of kind of choosing the easy way out if that makes sense like I the other um what do we call it the the, the machine yeah the experience machine yep um I think that would be kind of a way to easily escape reality yeah and I think that the best things actually do come not from like the calculations but from us like learning about how to overcome like mm. in our reality no matter the situation like I don't really see like a need to have a, a good outcome you know in yeah. every situation uh, so so part of the implication right is that by choosing reality you are prioritizing something perhaps truth over having the best possible life uh, a life of pleasure, a uh, life of, and is, is that, is that kind of tracking that maybe, yeah. maybe, yeah. maybe it's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, reality is sometimes more important than simply feeling good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I so, definitely agree. Uh, I don't know if you guys watch Star Trek at all, but would highly recommend it because every Star Trek episode is basically just a philosophical thought experiment. And in fact, the pilot episode, you know, so the original pre-episode of the original series was basically a, an experience machine reference. Um, we have the, uh, the captain at the time, not captain Kirk, because it's a different cap captain Pike is the captain for the, for the whatever, but he goes onto a planet and finds himself, uh, kidnapped by aliens who have a very, have a lot of control over illusions. And he finds himself sort of in an alien zoo type situation. And fortunately the aliens have been kind enough to give him this beautiful woman that he is in jail with. Uh, and what they want is they want him to just live out a normal life, but through a series of illusions that they give him. And so in this case, he knows he's in the machine, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and they want him to marry this woman and have children and live basically on a simulated earth just so they can see what it's like for humans to live and they can learn. And the whole time, the girl seems to be pretty into it. Uh, and his fact is actually deeply bothered by the way the Captain uh, Pike is rebelling against this. But Captain Pike is intensely rebelling. He doesn't even care. He's willing to take physical torture to fight against this scenario and this situation. Uh, but what's revealed at the end of the episode, and of course I'm sure I can spoil this because it's been probably 50 years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's revealed that as, as they're leaving, as they like escape, it's revealed that the woman uh, who is a human was actually deeply ugly and deformed and and that it was an illusion that was making her beautiful and young and wow. so so at the end pike leaves but the girl decides to stay decides to stay in the zoo so she continue being beautiful and have a good life and so maybe maybe what's going on when we answer this thought experiment about the experience machine maybe part of what's going on is do we feel as if our life is our, our normal reality is actually decent enough because maybe our answer would change if we were suffering a bunch and you know, suffering from that's heroin true. addiction yeah. or abuse or something maybe our answers would change yeah that's what i think i was i i, I wanted i was thinking about too is like um what if i was like really sick or mm -hmm. you know something battling cancer or if i had a certain disability where i couldn't like walk again or you know like something that's kind of life altering would I want to change my course yeah. and I think I went full circle and I decided you know I I would still stay in the reality really? 
Interesting. Yeah, because I think it, there's still a lot to learn from the people that do go through those experiences. Like, especially, like, the people that I look up to, like, you'll see, like, I don't know, like, I, I, I watched this video in class, um, it was, it was, uh, maybe a year and a half ago, yeah. and it was about, um, a man who is, um, who had lost his leg in an incident, and he decided to become, like, a bicyclist, and he, like, like, in, like, really uneven terrain i forget what it's called but he would he ended up becoming like a professional he trained himself how to you know bike and i i don't know i just feel like you the people that do live with their reality and kind of make a better situation from it are people i really look up to like yeah and they persevere yeah i i get that i get that perspective i don't know if i'd be strong enough to not take the temptation of like experiencing a different reality if i was really if i was really miserable i think i would do it Hmm. i don't know i just feel like in the in the other worlds um it might be like if you don't experience like misery or feelings of you know inadequacy or failures you can even call them like i feel like you you don't develop past a certain point. Mm. Like you kind of remain stuck in like a everything's perfect world, which I don't know if is if that's ideal. Like for like just if in just thinking of like character growth and like yeah. who yeah. I am as a human, like who do I wanna be? Like you kind of get stuck in this kind of superficial layer of like, mm. oh, I just got what I wanted though. Like mistake, but oh, this came out of it and it just repeats. Rather than like how the real world works, I don't know. I kind of like that we like (laughs) we we don't have to settle on one choice. (laughs) (laughs) It's a challenging topic, a very challenging topic. But you know, again, that's why we explore these ideas, right? Is it asks us what do we value and why do we value it? Um, So I hope I hope this has been a kind of a good experience for you guys. Just think about these problems and think about these topics. I really enjoyed it, and I having you on has been a pleasure and um i definitely think we learned about like more of each other amy because i she like told me before this episode that she thought we were gonna have like the same answers for everything but i was like no i don't i don't think like i don't think so i think we did agree on some things but i don't think anybody would have the same exact answers for any of these questions um because sometimes I even waver on my answers, honestly. But um, thank you so much for being here, Gabriel. It was so much fun. And thank you so much for your time. Um, and where can people find you sure. to contact you? Yeah, check out gabrieljmitchell.com. Uh, that is my personal website, which I'll make an effort to try to update a little bit more frequently. <laughs> um, and there's probably my email on there that you can reach out. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty friendly on things like Facebook and stuff. So always happy to chat. Yes, for yeah. sure. Um, but thank you so much, Gabriel. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this yeah I really, really appreciate fun. it. Yeah, if anyone is listening and loves philosophy and wants to dive in, I highly recommend the book uh, Philosophy Who Needs It by the controversial but still very intelligent philosopher Ayn Rand. Um, I think that's a really great starting point. And so just come explore ideas with me and we can go on this journey together.
I'm definitely going to check it out. Thank cool. you so much. Sweet. Thank you guys. See, See you guys next time.